Hello and welcome to the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host Jason Holzer along with Jim Huber. But before we get started, make sure you sign up for our 4D Athletes course on navigating your kid through sports. It's five lessons to help you have a better experience with you and your kid in sports. The link is in the YouTube description, so be sure to go to our YouTube channel, check it out, click it, sign up, and those tips might be the difference in you and your kid enjoying sports even more. Now, let's get started with the 4D Athletes Podcast. Good morning, Jimmy. How's it going? Good to see you today. It's a beautiful, what, uh, Wednesday morning, sun's out, great weather, so enjoying a taste of a little spring coming upon us. You know, it's uh, it's March, you know, I got my green on today, rocking the good old St. Therese team. We're on a, in the championship week this week, you know, against some of the players you actually coach as well, so it'll be a fun little, mm-hmm. uh, fun little game this weekend. Um, and, you know, like you said, the weather's getting nicer and the sun's out. And we also have a great guest today, by the way. His name is Chris Rubio. This is episode 102. He was a former Division I player at UCLA, host of the Rubio Method, which actually I just got to be a guest on last week. Great show for uh, guys in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. To, like, just gives a little humor, a little insight, a little bit of uh, you know great guests as well. So definitely recommend checking out the Rubio Method as well. But he's one of the top long-snapping coaches in – America as well, which is a unique niche, right? Most people think in football, like, you know, you have your specific skills coaches. Didn't realize that long snapping was a niche thing as well. Oh, I mean, that's, you know, special teams, right? You got to be good in the special teams. Talking about long snapping, right? Good punts, but also kicking field goals, extra points, putting points on the board. So that's, that's, that's a valuable part of the game. That's true. Well, and we're also going to dive into a lot of things with Chris today beyond uh, long snapping football. So we're going to go ahead and bring him on today. Chris, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us for from Idaho this time. I got it right because I, I also got to hand the background, but uh, excited to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. You know, Chris, uh, look back in your bio, and, you know, one thing you talked about I saw a lot was, like, overcoming setbacks, landing back on your feet. You know, can you dive into, you know, that mindset, kind of your story, you know, how you've had to overcome setbacks in your own life, and then – what does it mean to get back on your feet? Because you hear that term thrown around a lot, but that's sometimes easier said than done as well. Yeah, um, it's one of those things that everyone's going to have a, have a setback. And when you do have a setback, a lot of times you don't notice it right away. You may think, oh, my God, life sucks. This is a terrible part of my life. But then when you look back, you know, in hindsight, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like, oh, man, that was a pretty big thing that happened before. And I didn't even realize it. I would say my biggest, quote unquote, setback was, I was in college. I was already at UCLA. I was doing well. It was my so, no, junior year. Uh, started already two years, having a great time off season. We were doing these sprints where you had to run 110 yards, go across the field and come back. And you had to do it under X amount of time. So, you know, the wide receivers were at like, say, 45 seconds. And the lineman slash Rubio was probably at like 59 or 106 seconds, so, you know. And so I'm doing that. And all of a sudden I go up and I make a turn like this. On the first turn, it, it felt like I get snipered. Like that. And it was reminding a lot of the scene of Dances with Wolves when they shot the buffalo 
And you see the buffalo dun, 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 fall like that. That's exactly what happened. And I'm laying down there. The trainers come running out. And they're, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? I, something something happened bad. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, something really bad. I couldn't breathe. They get the stretcher out. They take me in. They go to take an MRI. And that was a, a whole inside story. And it turns out that I had crushed my L1, L2, L3 discs and pushed out the L4 and L5. So they're hitting my nerves. And I was a young college kid. I was like 21 years old. So you're young and stupid. And you think, oh, this hurts, this hurts. I was I remember walking down steps before that. And, oh, I can't feel my left leg. Hey, that must be just something that happens at 21. I'm getting old. And so they ended up, you know, basically that was a ma massive setback for me where I had to go from training all the time to, okay, you can kind of sit on the, the recumbent bike and just do nothing to where you have to learn how to play in a basically a wetsuit. And it would a wetsuit that would have fit you guys. And I was about 285 at the time. So it was not a good look and not comfortable. <laughs> and uh, that basically killed my dreams of maybe playing in the NFL because I had started getting some contact from college coaches and things like that. Uh, excuse me, NFL coaches. And I said, ah, I'm going to, you know, uh, go a different direction, basically. And I, that's when I became a teacher. And that's when I started doing sixth grade history teaching, which led into long stepping instruction, which led me to here. How do you like so when somebody goes through something like that, you know, you have individuals go through injuries, right, in, in mm -hmm. sports. And also maybe, you know, they can be able to rehab back to get back to playing, but sometimes they aren't able to play anymore. What are some of the suggestions you give to individuals that are going through those challenges and trying to overcome it to play again? And maybe some of them can't play again and their identity is so much tied into what they're doing. What are ways they can get through it, overcome it, and be better through it? Well, that's the thing. That, that's one of the – my main mottos in life is, am I, am I like the first person to go through this? Will I be the last person to go through this? So am I the first person to hurt my back? No. Will I be the last person to hurt my back? No. But it did take away my identity of, oh, you're the long snapper. I was still able to snap my senior year, but I was no longer that long snapper who was looking from college to the NFL. So I had to find basically a new identity of who I was. And that's where it was very, very tricky because you go from, you know, a college scholarship long snapper where everyone's asking for your autograph, yes, even for long snappers, um, to the next year you're teaching 180 kids that are 12 years old that don't even know who you are. And so you had to really, another one of my models, accept and embrace of, okay, I'm going to accept it, I'm going to embrace, this is my new life, and I'm going to lean into it and really make it the best that I can because it's just basically chapter two now. Well, you know, Chris, you also mentioned like you went into teaching, right? So mm -hmm. you went into something that you can see other people getting better because of the influence you can have on them. Is that something you would suggest too, like to be able to shift your identity quicker is find something that is purposeful, something that, and it doesn't have to be teaching per se, but like mm -hmm. get, find something that is you're serving others. Cause they've said it before that the more you serve others, the less you think about yourself, which also helps you, you know, raise your level of happiness and self-esteem too. Yeah, I would definitely say serve others, but also serve yourself to where if you can figure out something that you're good at, and teaching was basically, I was teaching sixth grade history. So it was basically just me telling stories, getting the kids to listen to the stories and remember them, like a, a movie. And you could see the instant gratification and in knowing, okay, I'm, I'm, they're getting better, but I'm also a better person because I'm able to see who I am and what I can do. And it's, it's, we're both feeding off each other. So I'm getting better. They're getting better. So it was more of, I, I'm able to lean into who I really was. And we were both benefiting. What, what do you say to individuals that you know, say shift into something new and they're in it and now it's new and it's a struggle? You know how it is like learning something mm -hmm. new 
and maybe being a master at it and you go through adversity, you go through struggles and sometimes like, um, maybe I need to go do something else. Maybe they give up and they don't stay with it. What are suggestions you give to people like that to say, Hey, it's going to be maybe challenging at the beginning, mm -hmm. but stay with it. Keep learning the skill sets and you, you can be really good at this, you know, new adventure in life, whatever it might be. Yeah, it, the same thing as before. You're not the first person to do it. You're not the last person to do it. And it's okay to make mistakes. That's the biggest thing I've learned with my businesses. It's okay to make a mistake. You know, a lot of it is started with, you know, paper, pen, you know, writing letters, emails, then it went to blogs, then it went to podcasts, then it went to videos. And it's one of those things that trial and error, trial and error. There are certain posts that I put out that don't work. There are certain techniques that I work with that I, that, that I think will work, but the kids can't grasp it. And that's the main thing is I need to get the kids to grasp it. So trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. And it's okay to make a mistake. That's the big thing that a lot of people don't understand is, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I made two mistakes. Oh, I made three mistakes. Okay. <laughs> make a hundred mistakes. You just got to find that 101 point that hits. And then, then you can really, really lean into it and find out who you are. What's a message when you talk about mistakes? Because you know, in athletics, mm -hmm. there's a lot of athletes out there that are afraid to make mistakes. And maybe it's part of maybe some of the coaches that are coaching them. Maybe it's the parents that are putting pressure on them or whatever it is. Can you speak to that as, you know, for parents and coaches, ways to go about it to allow individuals to be comfortable with making mistakes and learning and growing through that? Yeah. Number one, you have to realize you're going to make a mistake. It's, it's impossible to be perfect. It's just not going to happen. You have to realize exactly why you're making the mistake. If you're making a mistake and you don't know why, that's a huge, huge problem. One of the examples I always use with my long snappers, is I said, right when they snap a ball, if it's a bad ball, I said, do you know why you made that? Why that was a bad snap? And if they pause, uh, 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 okay, then we have a problem. Then I bring up the example is, okay, say us three go to Taco Bell tonight. And we're going to eat Taco Bell. We're going to have seven layer burritos, chalupas, all the good stuff at midnight. And then next morning we wake up and all three of us have diarrhea. Okay. At night, tonight again, or next night, if we have diet, or we have Taco Bell at midnight, we're morons because we've got to figure out, hey man, Taco Bell equals diarrhea equals bad. So we have to learn where the mistake is. If you can learn where the mistake is, you can fix the mistake. But if you can just keep going and going and going and not realize, okay, when I did this, that was my mistake, then you're never going to fix it. Well, it sounds like, you know, you're diving into the, the power of being reflective and then just seeing a mistake as is learning from it and not like letting your critical mind like say like oh like it's doom and gloom or um you know i'm not good at this or you know everybody's looking at me right so you know can you dive into like you know the process of being reflective taking that mistake taking that lesson and allowing it to make you better and not just sitting into where one mistake turns into two three four and like you said you mentioned you know if you make 100 mistakes fine all good but that one mistake could be a valuable lesson that could keep you from making the next mistake, right? So talk about the importance of reflecting on it, learning from it, and then moving forward. This is actually really, really big with long snappers because if you think about it, long snappers and long snapping is the only position on the football field that doesn't require anyone else, okay? An offensive lineman goes against a defensive lineman. A defensive lineman goes against an offensive lineman. A quarterback waits for the center. He's got other guys to worry about. The long snapper is fighting mother nature. So if you, if there's no one that can affect my snap. I don't care how many people are yelling at me, how many people are spitting on the ball, no matter what they're doing, I'm the only one that controls my snap. So there has to be a lot of inner reflection. You have to watch the video. The big, big thing with long snappers is watching the video and getting them not to think. So once they can look at themselves and realize, okay, here's the mistakes that I'm making. 
then they can really succeed. But you have to be able to look back. And a lot of times people don't like to do that because it's they don't want to put a negative on themselves when sometimes you need a negative. Sometimes you need, okay, I was I had a lazy workout this whole week. I was I went out too much with the boys, did whatever, and I had a bad game. Why is the reason? I can't figure it out. Well, then you're an idiot. You can figure it out, and you're just lying to yourself. Once you stop lying to yourself, that's when you become better. So go to that. So, you know, you talk about long snapping, and you talk about you're going against Mother Nature, but you know, like, okay, so we got a field goal to kick. Mm-hmm. So we got an extra point to kick and say the game's on the line and we got to make it right. Or we, we're going to lose. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're basically long snapping back to the placeholder. It's got to mm-hmm. place it down for the kicker and we're working as a team. Right. Mm-hmm. And there might be pressure in getting that snap the right way. When you talk about like things they work on to get themselves ready, how do you talk to the long snappers to like relax and be present in the moment? and not to be thinking too much about what they're going to be doing that could impact the game in a positive or negative way. It's, it's one of the hardest things with long snappers is, I, I always say this beginning my camps, I bring all the long snappers over. You have the long snappers on one section of the field, the kickers on the other. And I always tell the parents, I said, all right, here's the biggest problem with long snappers. They're smart. I go, if they were stupid, they'd be on that section kicking. And I go, I've got to get them to stop thinking. So like when someone does a lesson with me up in Lewiston, Idaho, first thing I say is what type of music you want to listen to? And then we put on that type of music. I don't care what it is. It could be country. It could be Disney. It could be the only thing I won't listen to is speed metal because that's terrible. Um, but I, and then throughout the entire lesson and throughout the entire camp, I, I talk to them. I talk to them nonstop about literally anything, nachos, girls, ice cream, doesn't matter because I need to get them to stop thinking because once an athlete starts thinking, they start thinking. And that's the worst thing that you can do over and over and over is so the way to build that the not thinking process is by continuously speaking to them and then making it more difficult for them so that when it is the pressure situation, remember, it's just them versus mother nature. It's nothing. So I, I, one of my camps, I always have the parents deal with the kids and I'll say, you say whatever you want to that kid right before he snaps, because parents know how to get to their kid better than anyone. And I'll say like, Oh, talk about his girlfriend, do this, whatever. I've had parents that were literally just like rubbing a kid's face you know, things like that. One of the, the, the most scary slash frightening moments to me ever when I was at Planet UCLA, we had a, a timeout and we were on the field. It's one of those shorter timeouts. It was like 20 seconds. And <laughs> we get down and we're to the guy across from me is Cal, a big guy. And he's like, Rubio, Rubio, you know, you have any family in Pittsburgh? And I was like, yeah, I thought he was talking about Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's talking about Pittsburgh, California. I go, yeah, up in McKee's Rocks here. He goes, no, California. I go, no. And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to kill you next play. Okay. And so I get down to snap the ball. And this was, it was the most bizarre thing ever. I get down. This is before the referee gets going and all that stuff. He reaches over and grabs my leg and just pets it. And I'm like, what's happening here? And this is like a six foot six, 320 pound human that looks, you know, he's basically right on the evolutionary chart. And I'm looking, I go, oh God, this is going to hurt. And this was back when they they were able to hit you and line up on you. And I said, this is going to hurt. But it was one of those things I had to just, it, it almost helped me more because I was thinking more about him killing me than I was about the snap. The snap just became second nature. It was just muscle memory at that point. It was, it was a great snap, by the way. What do you do though? Like, you know, the attention to details and, and I'm a basketball and I talk to kids about the little things matter, mm-hmm. you know, your footwork and all these type of things and uh, be meticulous in it. And a long snapper, I've listened to people talk about laces out or it's mm-hmm. got a 12 o'clock facing or whatever it is. They can count so many spins on a ball to get back mm-hmm. and whatever. Is that something like working with 
individuals in long snapping is talking about the little things matter. It's the details. It's being, you know, the same thing every time and being consistent. Is that stuff you get into with them or how do you go about that? Oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's why the main thing I talk about is form and fun. You got to have fun while you're doing it and you got to work on your form. So you guys are both basketball coaches. So this will relate really well. Imagine if I told you, I need you two in one year to create me the ultimate free throw shooter. That's it. That's all I need. Anytime there's a free throw, they switch the rules of basketball. They can throw in little Johnny. He's going to shoot the free throw. You'd be like, okay, but what about dribbling? No, 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 don't dribble. Okay, what about passing? No, 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 don't pass. Okay, what about receiving? No, 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 just, just free throws. That's it. That's all you got to do. And that's what a long snapper is. He's just muscle memory shooting a free throw over and over and over again. But you have to make sure he has the same exact form. Because if you guys are saying elbow in, you know, put your fingers in the cookie jar, and then all of a sudden this guy does this, elbow out, you're like, hey, whoa, whoa, the ball's going to go this way, man. And so that's what my job is, is teaching the muscle memory, the form over and over and over again, but making it easier for them to understand. You guys both deal with younger kids. The easier it is for them to understand, the better. That's why I love long snappers that I can get before, before puberty. Because I would say it's like I get a long snapper before puberty. I'm building the car. I'm building the car. I'm putting the tires, the windshield wipers, the hood, all that crap, the antenna, if they even have antennas anymore, all that stuff. Then puberty is just the engine. Once I get their form down, which is the car, and then puberty comes in, that's the engine. That's when they start to snap really fast. So before the kids all pre-puberty, he's snapping, you know, barely make it five yards, seven yards. Parents get frustrated. I go, he doesn't have the engine. You know, you can only pedal a bike so fast, man. Just calm down. Wait for puberty to come in. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's the V12. All hell's breaking loose. That's why I love working with those younger kids. That's like in shooting, too. You know, like you get them and they're maybe not getting above a 10-foot rim and they're younger. And, you know, they're working on their form and getting at them. Like I said, puberty hasn't hit. But to speak to this for me, so you're a long snapping coach. You also got coaches out there that help, you know, individuals kicking field goals or place mm-hmm. kickers, right? holders, things like that. So when, when you come together, it's like a team, right? Because you got your placeholder. Mm-hmm. You got you got the p- person that's snapping it, long snapping. You got the kicker. How do you get them to maybe communicate together the way they like to receive the ball, the way things like that, that they talk to each other, they communicate, they understand how they're working together as a team? Is that part of it? Also, we work individually, but now we got to come together and make this happen as one. Oh, absolutely. That's why – the NFL, you have the kicker, the punter, and the long snapper. The holder is usually just the punter, 99.999% of the time. So these guys are at practice together for an hour and a half, two hours every single day. They hang out together. They're usually on the road together. So you have to work well together to communicate together. And that's where so many personalities. I've had long snappers where they couldn't mend, mold, mix with the other guys, and they got cut. They were a great snapper. They just couldn't work well. You know, you guys could be, you know, two great podcast hosts, but if you guys don't work together off the off the mic, the TV, whatever, it's not going to work. And that's where they have to come together and you have to have somewhat of the same personality. That's why if you had Saylor, the guy that I work with who does Chris Saylor kicking, he and I worked extremely well together at UCLA because we had the both laid back kind of blah, whatever, let's go have a good time. I mean, we would talk, look at the girls during the games. I mean, we were not football guys. Um, I don't think we ever watched a whole football game, even when we were playing. We would talk about what we were going to do after, what we were going to eat. Oh, did you see this girl in the stands? Look at 44B over there, you know, things like that. But that relaxed us a lot more. And that was the way we learned to relax. And he wasn't the old kicker, kicker. You know, one time he made like 18 in a row and then he finally missed. 
And we all, what, what, what happened? What happened? He goes, I, I just missed it. Okay, cool. Well, it kind of goes back to like, you know, it's it's being competitive. You're giving your best effort, but not taking yourself or things too seriously, right? Like at the end of the day, it's a game. It's an extracurricular activity. It's something that keeps you healthy. It's something that keeps you teaming. But I feel like so many times, especially like, you know, maybe parents or even sometimes coaches, like this is like their livelihood. Like this yeah. is like, you know, this is life or death. And it's like, you know, it, it's, it's fun to win. You know, you could say it's quote unquote important, but you speak to like, you know, again, just kind of chilling out, like you said, and and relaxing because you actually end up playing better the more relaxed you are being able to go out there and not being so tense and so stressed about having to perform at a certain level or, or putting so much expectation on you that might be unrealistic at, at wherever level you're at. Yeah, you, you have to be able to relax, have fun. I mean, I see it all the time. I have uh, my youngest, he plays, you know, AAU basketball, and there's 11-year-old, and there's parents out there just losing their minds. And I, I'm usually, well, here's the parents. I sit over here. Cause I don't want to hear them. And I'm just the one that's just like this the whole time. And I'm, I always tell my wife, she'll get into it. Sometimes I go, ESPN's not here. No one cares. Just let them have fun. They're 11 for the love of God. They're going to make mistakes. But the way I really learned how to do this is my very, very first snap. Can I, do I have time for a first snap story? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I, my redshirt freshman year, the coaches tell me Rubio, I wasn't traveling yet. I was basically the backup. They say, you're going to travel to Cal. We need you to get used to the plane, the, the car rides, the police escort, the hotels, all that stuff. Fantastic. I go. It's wonderful. I'm second string. I don't even pay attention to what's happening on the game. I'm just excited because I had a haagen ice cream on the plane. And it was like the third time I'd been on a plane in my life. I get back that the, that Saturday night. My roommates go, how was it? I said, it was great, man. It was fun. They go, were you nervous? I go, what the hell would I be nervous for? I'm not going in there. Like, yeah, but you know, if the starter went out, you're going in. And, you know, I was 19. I go, holy Jesus, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my God. So the next Monday, the coaches tell me, Rubio, you're traveling to ASU this week, Arizona State. I go, oh, good God. So I start snapping. I mean, Monday, I'm snapping a 1,000 balls. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm, I'm like massaging the starting lawns. Never, don't get injured. Don't get injured. Don't get injured. We get to ASU. It's in September. It's If you've ever been to Scottsdale or Tempe, wherever it is, it's like a billion degrees down there. We had gold pants, and mine looked rusty because I was already sweating. And sure as hell, the first two plays of the game, we ended up winning. Like We're up 14-0. The coach tells me the worst thing possible. He comes and goes, Rubio, if this keeps up, you're going in. And I go, oh, God, here we go. So I'm dripping sweat, and I'm snapping, snapping, snapping. Halftime, we're up 42 nothing. He goes, Rubio, if this keeps up, you're going in. I go, oh, God, okay, so here we go. And Arizona State holds about 72,000, 68,000 people. And by the end of the game, we ended up winning 68-14. There was like 2,000 people. And if you've ever been at a stadium, 100,000 people is easy because all you hear is static. And the, the crowd's, you, know, you can't hear anything. But when there's 2,000 people in it, you can hear everything. So you've got a guy, hey, Johnny, give me some nachos. Okay, I'll get two beers too. And it makes you more nervous because you can literally hear people at the top talking because it just echoes. So finally, we're going for a field goal, and he goes, Rubio, get in there. I'm like, oh, God, here it goes. And I can feel my chest, and my helmet felt like a damn cinder block. And there was this big, greasy, yellow guy. He was on steroids. I know he was. And he was a monster, and he was right above me. And I get down to snap the ball, and all of a sudden, I can't remember if my ring finger is here, on the seam, or under. So I'm grabbing the ball like this, and I get down. Oh, good God. I couldn't. I was down there for seven hours, it felt like. It was probably five or six seconds. And so I'm like, oh, good God. What, what's happening here? I can't figure. Oh, my God. And this guy gives me the best advice ever. He goes, hey, just snap the 
ball, you dumb. He starts cussing me out. I go, and out loud, I go, okay. And I snapped it. It was perfect. But so that's what I always tell my snappers is just snap the ball. We're not solving cancer. You're snapping a dead animal really fast. That's all you got to do. So that's how I got to stop thinking. That's a great story. <laughs> it goes back to like, you know, how overthinking can make you like, you know, question yourself. And at the end of the day, just like, just go do it. Like it's something you practice a lot of times. Like just snap the ball. Right. I mean, it's keep it simple. Like they always say, keep it simple. And that's what you mentioned before. Like stop the overthinking. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always tell my, my long snappy parents. I the first thing I tell them that I'm looking for certain things in long snappers, big head, big, large head, big butt. They have a big butt. They're great. Long arms, usually good. And the last thing I would say, if your kid's a little dumb, I love them. I love like the 2.7s to 3.1 GPA. Those are the best because they're not overthinkers. They're just happy in life. The kids that are like 4.0s, I've had even a couple of Mensa members, the Genius Club. Holy Lord, are they hard to work with because they're overthinking every single thing. So like I've said, we're not, salt, we're not working for NASA here, guys. Dead animal, snap it fast. That's it. What are, what are the things you see that parents do that cause kids to overthink, like in sports, and things that they maybe can do to help them not think as much and just play? Parents that are always watching. I mean, obviously, you want to watch your kid. That's a given. But the kids that are always, as soon as they snap and they make a mistake, I, I one of my things on how I'm rating them or ranking them is I want to see where their eyes go because I know a lot of coaches do as well. So if I have a kid who has a bad snap and all of a sudden immediately looks to mommy and daddy, we got to cut the cord, man. And so what a parent can do on that is what I like to do is I I usually always have sunglasses on at every event that I'm at. Obviously, it's a little bit harder if I'm watching my kid play basketball. But when I see my kid play basketball and he makes a, a really stupid play where it's just not normal for him, as soon as I see him make it, I'll do this. I'll look away like I wasn't paying attention. So if he does look at me, he's like, oh, he, did, he didn't even see that. And I, then he'll say after the fact, oh, did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Okay, what are you going to do? The world's not ending. No one's going to die. You, you made a stupid play. It happens. You, you're not going to be perfect. Okay, it's just now we've got to eliminate why was that a dumb play. That's the other thing you mentioned, too, is like a lot of times parents that I've seen, I mean, they'll like at practices, they'll be there or whatever, and they're like hovering around and going from like, even at camps, we'll have some parents that go from court to court, and they'll just be like sitting there, like just staring at their kid, and I'm like, can you give them some room, give them some space, like drop them off and go do something else, like to me, it's that micromanaging that you're like hovering over your child consistently. And at my camps, it's a little different because I have the parents on the field with me because I want to teach them as much as I want to teach the kids because they tend to pay attention a little bit more because they pay for the camp. But when I see the hover parent, the helicopter parent, I make my move and I go right in between them. I'll stand right, like literally an inch from their face with my back to them. So they, if they can't figure it out, okay, Rubio's trying to get me to back up a little bit, then we've got, then I'll have to say something like, you need to spread out. But I usually make it a point to where, oh, you know, this, and I'll talk to them about, you know, just, and I'll explain, like, we'll have a conversation about ranch dressing for 35 minutes. And the parent, I can see parents, what the hell are you talking about? I paid for this lawn snapping camp. And I go, yeah, but look how much better your kid's snapping right now because he's thinking about, you know, ranch dressing and salsa. That's all he's thinking about. And I go, that's where you need to learn how to take five steps back, not even one step back, and just let your kid be a kid, man. What are the things when you have a parent come to you and say, like, you know, my, my child's is struggling with confidence. Mm-hmm. You're, just, you're just not confident right now and they just don't feel like they can do it. What are the things that you kind of tell them or maybe things that you might work the child to help them to get confidence in themselves and what they're doing? 
it, it, the big thing is getting them back to the basics. I always say get them back to the basics. So for snapping, obviously you want to go 15 yards. And the whole thing is I got to get them to snap 15 yards in 0.75 seconds or quicker. And I got to get them to put it in the Rubio zone. When it's basically the lowest rib to mid thigh, armpit to armpit. That's the sweet spot for the punter. So when a kid starts to struggle like that, there's two things that you can do. Number one, I tell them to snap it as physically hard as they can. Because at that point, they're trying to aim the ball and it usually goes slower. And I'll say, when we're in my shop, I'll say, I don't care if it goes 10 feet above. Go, let, snap it as physically hard as you can. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll put my hand on their back. And as soon as they snap, I'll push down. Okay, and I always explain like the head going and back going through is like a, a fat kid on a teeter-totter. Fat kid versus thin kid, fat kid wins. And so when I, their fat kid on the teeter-totter starts to go a little slow, I get his fat cousin and I put him on the teeter-totter as well. That's my hand. So that's number one. I'll just let them try it. So they're just, you know, basically it's like learning how to play tackle football in a pool. They're usually a little bit more aggressive. And then the second thing is I always do is I make them do slow motions drills very close. So if you're snapping to me, we're talking two yards away. And I'm going slow, really slow. I always tell them, like, imagine you're in a room full of pudding. And that it's like good pudding, not trash pudding, okay? And it's really thick. And they got to do their whole entire movement going back. And so when they do that, then I back it up to like six yards, seven yards, seven yards. And then I'll sit on, I have a yoga ball, I'll sit on the yoga ball. And my head's pretty much a little bit above their butt level, right where the ball should go. And I'll go snap it as physically hard to me as you can, right at my face. I go, your job should be for me to die right here. That's your job because you don't ever snap the ball to the punter. You snap the ball through the punter. That's where the confidence comes in. When the aiming is when they're snapping it to the punter. Okay, You want to snap the ball through the punter. Your goal is to watch him die. And so usually if I'm sitting about seven yards back on that yoga ball, and I'll talk to him a little bit about snap it hard as you want. I'll catch it. I got good hands. And so they'll snap it a little bit timid. And I go, let me scoot up for you. And I'll scoot up like two inches. And I go, is this close enough for you? You want me to scoot up more? And they're like, and now they get pissed. Okay, because they're like, oh, now he's just calling me out. And so then they really start to press the gas because they're more they're thinking more about me pissing them off than they are about the snapping motion. But we've already worked on the snapping motion as we backed up. So now all we're doing is just I would say it's like the DVRs. And instead of one arrow up, fast forward, we've got like seven arrows up. And then that's when their confidence level comes back because then they're, oh my God, they'll almost take my head off, which is great. But then that's when they realize start to realize, oh, I can do this. And then that's when their confidence really takes off. And that's almost that's almost too like like you talk about getting focusing on the process of doing it instead mm -hmm. of the outcomes. So I feel like sometimes kids are they focus so much on the outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe they're pressing themselves because they got to make a shot. Like I tell mm -hmm. kids in basketball, you don't have to make a shot. You just got to shoot shots. It's a good shot, and you're open, mm -hmm. right? Let the results take care of itself. So, like you talk about, if you're working on your technique and the process of it and getting your mind out of the outcome of doing it or what you haven't done so well, now you can get comfortable back in that element, right? And thinking more present. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a matter of learning to take yourself out of the situation. I played in games where the 108,000 people versus Peyton Manning, you know, in Tennessee, 108,000 in Michigan. And it's one of those things that I used to look around and go, all right, there's 108,000 people here. This is pretty amazing. And then, you know, it was the NBC game of the week or whatever it was. Okay, there's probably 5 million watching as well as we're on the Cotton Bowl here. That's kind of crazy. But then I used to always just take myself out and go, there's probably someone in Romania that's not even watching this or even knows what the hell's happening. And that's cool. This is probably this guy named Jason Holzer out in, you know, Kansas City. He doesn't know what I'm doing. Okay. And then I was like, it's probably not that big of a deal. Hey, I'll snap the ball. That's, uh, yeah, because most of the world, you think about it, like we, we make some of those things bigger in our head, right? Like you magnify yeah. it in your own mind. But like you mentioned, like if you're like, you know what? Most people around the world have no clue this is happening. I mean, yeah. 
one percent of the world maybe has an idea, right? If you kind of learn how to make a big situation and make it smaller. And I, but I want to transition into this though, you know, relationships and your ability to connect with your players, students. And, you know, you've been informed. It's so key to to getting them to you know get to an outcome, right? You know, we talked about the process, but in that process is developing strong relationships. What have you found to be effective strategies on like getting to know kids, better understand kids and making them feel like that you care about them and that you are connected with them in a way that whenever you tell them something, you coach them on something, they actually like want to do it or listen or, or like, Hey, you know what? Coach knows what he's talking about. I'm going to apply it because he comes from a place of care. There's two things. Number, number one, you got to make it fun for them. I, I, I'm a big fan of, I have to make it fun and able for them to understand it. Because there's a lot of people that are smarter than me that think they can do what I'm trying to do, but they can't communicate it. It's where, like, a lot of times you see Magic Johnson, for example, phenomenal athlete, one of the best basketball players of all time, terrible coach, because he couldn't convey his – just do it like I did. Well, no one can do that, man. Not, not, there's not a lot of six, eight forwards or point guards, excuse me, you know. Number one, make it fun. So I'll, I'll say things like, okay, instead of saying follow through all the way, because you can say you – like you guys will say follow through, put your – you know, maybe say put your fingers in the cookie jar. Okay, mine would be follow through all the way to the point where you take a dump on your wrist. It's disgusting, but they're literally never going to forget it. Okay, I just had, I was on NFL Films and the, the Ferguson brothers were saying, they said the same thing. Rubio told us to take a dump on our wrist when we were seven, in seventh grade. Still didn't forget it. They're both making millions of dollars in the NFL right now. And number two, I learned this at college. There's two, in my opinion, there's two types of athletes. There's a type of athletes that like to be yelled at, and there's a type of athletes that don't like to be yelled at. So for me, I was the one that you just tell me what to do. I'll do it. You just got to be clear when you're telling me what to do. Just communicate with me because if you start to yell at me, I'm going to hear Charlie Brown's teacher. I'm going to hear wah, 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 wah. You're not going to get through to me. I don't care if you're the best coach in the world. You can be John Wooden. I'm not going to hear you because you're yelling at me and I'm done. And then you have other coaches or other athletes that if you speak to them, they don't like it. They take it as a, a sign of almost insecurity from the coach where they like to be yelled at. They, you, the more you MF them, the better they do. One of my, my, one of my best friends in college, uh, Andy Myers, he was that guy. You could, the more you said about his mother, my God, the better he was. But if you try to like, hey, Myers, I need you to do this, he was out. But me, it was, you talked about my mom, I was out. But if you just told me, Ruben, we need to do this and do that. Okay, no problem. And so that's finding out which athlete you're working with, then you can start to lean into it. So what are, what are like, you know, and I know sometimes coaches can have a feel for that, you know, like kids that respond better to certain things, but say coaches that don't know, like, Hey, does Jason respond better to me getting on him in a certain way and, or maybe talking to him in another way? What are ways that you feel like, you know, maybe coaches can figure that out or is there a way to ask questions? There's a way to, I know they have course like, surveys and things kids fill out now to kind of find out their personalities and stuff like that. What are suggestions you give the coaches to kind of find out what's really going to work with a particular kid? I would say, number one, they got to get down to their level and they have to speak to them. So many coaches think they're too high and mighty and it's my way or the highway. Okay, that's great, but you still have to learn how to communicate that to certain people. And it could be your way or the highway, but if you don't know how what kind of kid you're dealing with, you'll never get it. And the best way I found is just when they're like doing less with me or, talk, you know, I just, I want to talk to them. Tell me what was the last movie you saw? You know, tell me the last book you read. Tell me the last magazine you looked at. Do you have a girlfriend? What's your favorite food? Do you like peanut butter? Do you like crunchy peanut butter? Do you like ice cream? What kind of ice cream? And then you can start to kind of see what type of kid they are by how they answer the questions. And then it's just us, you know, basically we're not having a beer, but we're having a beer together. 
and we're just enjoying time. And then, you know, you sit down with someone at an airport for two hours having a beer, you're going to find out a little bit about them. And that's what I always say is you have to be able to communicate with the kid. And if you're above communicating with them, you're, you're not going to be able to. So, you know, it sounds like you're saying just get really curious, right? Just like really like ask a lot of questions, get to know them and have conversations with them. Right. And then the power of observing too, right. Simply just watching them, how they interact with their, with their peers, you know, like who they hang around with too. Right. Can you speak to that a little bit about like, you know, just the power of observation, sometimes like taking a step back and watching, you can learn so much from that as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge observer. I always tell the kids that I'm ranking them from the first second I see them to the very last second. I, they're, they're off the, the field. And that's why I was, I'm always wearing sunglasses where, you know, I'm shaking their hand. I'm asking the question, hey, what's your name? You know, they're checking in and they'll say, uh, Jason Holzer. Or a lot of times the mom or dad will answer. And as soon as I see that, I'll talk to the mom or dad later and I'll say, you can't do that. You can't do that. The kid knows his name and you have to be able to let your kid fail. You have to let your kid fail. And then I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but you have to let your kid fail so that he can learn how to succeed later. Tell him why he failed and then you'll be able to come back. But observing huge, huge, huge thing. And I know college coaches, I've seen college coaches. We used to be able to run college camps all the time. A coach would put on chapstick and he would just throw it down on the ground. He would tell the kid, hey, can you pick that up for me? I accidentally dropped it. And he would observe him just squatting down. Did he squat down like a 50-year-old man or did he squat down like a 17-year-old kid? Or they'd say, go get some water, jog over there. They wanted to see how the kids, what their gait looked like. How did they move? They would say, okay, go to your families for a little bit. They would observe how, how are they with mommy and daddy? How are they with little sister and little brother? Okay, that's what a lot of coaches will do is they'll sit and they'll just watch when you're not on. Because they want to see, you know, on the field's great, but how are you going to be off the field? Because a lot of times off the field antics will play into the onto the field. That's uh, it's actually like segue into our last question here before we get into our final segment is, you know, what can you tell parents about helping your kid through those setbacks and failures, right? Because so many times parents want to jump in and fix something. They don't want little Billy, little Johnny to go through that adversity or anything like that because, you know, they maybe went through something and they don't want them to experience the same thing. How can you tell parents like, no, this is a good thing. This is going to help them get better. How can you convince parents of that of like, no, let them go through it. Don't try to save them from it because they might miss out on a lesson that they need to learn so they can get better for the next thing. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. You, like you just said, you have to let them learn. If they, if you don't teach, if you don't let your kid at some point touch the hot pan, he's never going to realize that hot pan equals pain. And then he's going to go his whole life and just, oh, I guess I can touch this at, you know, at age 40. No, man, you should have learned that at age two that, stove bad okay fire bad you know you want to stick away from it so yeah it, it, you have to realize okay you didn't practice well it's a negative you're going to play poorly you, you're overthinking it's it's poor you're, you're going to play poorly you weren't thinking on the court you you didn't you weren't moving around you were being lazy that here's the reasons why you ended up plant having a poor basketball game because you were just lazy the entire time now we can learn from that and become not lazy or you can continue to be trash that's that's on you it's, it's completely up to you because the, the parents can't go on the court. Parents can't go on the field. That's why I always tell my long snipers, you know, we're not laying brick in the middle of the desert. This is not hard. It's just a matter of going out 30 minutes every three, three, five times a week. That's why I always, they, I get this question a lot from parents. I don't know if my kid's serious about his long snipers. Should I keep pushing them? I always say this. Don't say one thing to your kid about snapping for two weeks. If in two weeks he does not come up to you and say, hey, can you catch a couple snaps for me? He's done. Because usually they'll know at that point, yeah, I'm kind of into it. 
or I don't care. If he'd rather be hanging out with Susie's girlfriend, okay, you lost him because it, it, most likely it was just not fun for him. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, as we say, we have the last one, and we have the four questions with 40 athletes. So this is our final bit of insight from our guests that we always like to, to say before we let them go. And the first one is this. In your opinion, Chris, what does it mean to win in the game of life? Being content and being happy with whatever you're doing, whether you're a pit pumper, garbage man, CEO, long segment coach, as long as you are truly happy, you won. All right. Simple, but uh, happiness is something that <laughs> it always seems to be people are chasing or trying to get to. Right. So it's. More well, and, about... Yeah. And it's it's the thing is, people need to realize it's different for every person. Mm. OK, so my happiness is not going to be the same as yours. OK, it's, it's OK. We're not we're we we're allowed to have different thoughts. You may love uh, olives on your pizza. I think you're an idiot for liking olives on your pizza. Doesn't mean that you're not happy eating olives on your pizza. Well, that goes back to Chris is like when you think about like people being happy, sometimes they're never happy because they're always they're chasing the next thing, right? And not to say you don't want more, but they're never content with kind of sometimes where they're at. And they're always looking at others and wanting something that somebody else has. And they feel like they can never really be happy at times. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It's just, you have to, the keep the whole keeping up with the Joneses in society has got to stop or you, you, you just can't, it's impossible. Okay. Jim and I can't wake up this morning and go, you know what? We're going to part our hair like Jason. It's just not happening. I would tell you, we, we lose, but it's one of those things that we're going to be more aerodynamic than Jason today. And, you know, we have to be content with what our happiness is. And you have to realize there's certain things you're just not doing. Yeah. Hey, number two, um, if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports, passed away, alive, fictional, non-fictional, who would you pick and why would you choose them? This is a good one. Uh, I want to pick two. It's uh, Vina Bruin. I'd love to talk to John Wooden. Mm. Just to see if he's if it does he think that his coaching style would work today, how disgusted he would be with the game today. But I'd also like to talk to Kobe about his mindset and just how how dominant he was on and off the court. I'd like to join in that conversation with John Wooden. <laughs> That'd be a hell of a conversation. I'd love to work, uh, talk to myself. What speaking of John Wooden, transitioning the the third question here. What's the best advice you've received from a coach you've played for or worked for? <laughs> this is, okay. Uh, I was at UCLA. It was my redshirt sophomore year. I've been starting for five or six games on scholarship, having a good time. I'm a single mom, raised only child, needed a lot of attention growing up. My wife says I still do. And I, play, I played five or six games. They were great. Then finally, after about the fifth game or sixth game, we're practicing. I'm doing great. I go over to the head coaches of Terry Donahue at the time. He's sitting there eating his dentine gum. I always had gum in his rave bands. I said, Coach, uh, he looks at me. Yes, Rubio. And I said, I don't know if I'm doing well or not. You don't ever speak to me. Takes off his sunglasses. Is Rubio, if the head football coach never speaks to the long sniper, he's doing perfect. And I went, peace out. And we didn't speak again until I graduated. So, hey, if they outside, I don't mind, right? Do yeah, yeah. I was like, peace out. I'm done with you. <laughs> what uh, if you had like one character trait or life skill, and you were say recruiting somebody to be in your organization or being a part of a sports team, your coach bring them in. What would that character trait or life skill be, and why? 
having a personality because I think having a personality and like a, a good one, you know, where they're kind of outgoing, but they could speak to anyone. I think that would convey the best on, on, off the field, off the court. Doesn't matter. I feel like they're, they're successful for life. I, I went, when I was teaching, I wasn't the smartest human being in the world. I had good grades and all that, but it was very apparent to me that people with personalities were better teachers. And then you'd see guys or girls that had like nine master's degrees in education and they were the worst teacher. And I'm like, shouldn't you be the best? You've learned how to do this like 15 times. And you got me who's up there just telling a damn story. I'm like, I'm 10 times better than you. I, I know I am. Because they're, they're, they would send kids to me to discipline them or teach them this. I'm like, dude, you've got like a, a doctorate in education. Why can't you figure this out? I'm drooling on myself over here and I can do it better than you. Jason, you never experienced that, have you, in the classroom? <laughs> Never, never. Yeah. Well, it goes back to like, you know, you said being a chameleon, right? Being able to blend in and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, make yourself and you still be yourself, but you were able to read a situation and and figure out like, okay, who, who can I be in this situation? That's going to be able to connect and find something relatable where I'm at. Right. So kind of like not trying to fit the mold of everything, but per se, being able to uh, handle a situation in a, in the best way possible. Be, being relatable, but also being yourself. That that's the trick. Is that I can be very relatable, but I'm also one that what you see is what you get. Mm. And my wife always tells me she goes Rubio. She even calls me Rubio. She's you're an acquired taste. And I'm, she's like sometimes you need to turn yourself down a little bit. And I go this is what you got. Uh, this is it. Speaking of that, I remember uh, yeah, you know Jason Troy Slayton, but when he was in person, radio personality, beginning he was young, coming out, he's trying to be like uh, Rick D's. And he's trying to be this Rick D's guy, and this the guy's running the station walked in. And he had some choice words for him. He goes, dude, would you freaking be you? Don't yeah. be Rick D's. You got it. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, my career kind of just started being me. And because being you, is, it, it, it ends up being the easiest because it, there's no facade. It's just you. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Well, Chris, you know, thank you again for, for joining us today. It was great having you on the show. Uh, where can people learn more about the Rubio Method? your long snapping, all that, like what's, what's the, uh, the website can, where people connect with you? Absolutely. For, uh, football, go to rubiolongsnapping.com. It's on every social media Avenue, uh, Snapchat, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, everything. And then for the Rubio method, just go to the rubiomethod.com. And it's also on all aspects of social media as well. Is Sounds there a good. way so like a 50-year-old can I become a long snapper in NFL still? Do I got a chance for Rubio? Actually, I actually I started the the way I got the Rubio method started was I had a 56-year-old contact me wanting to be the oldest long snapper in NCAA history. And I thought it was a joke and I called him and he came up for a lesson and sure as hell, he's working on it. He's doing really really well and he's going to get a spot this fall and he's the one who owns ngbn.tv who basically hired me to do, run the Rubio method. So right, yes, that works, right? It's Ian I'm going to put on a little bit of weight, Jim. You look a little thin right now. <laughs> what do I got to be? Two, what do I got to be? Two, 240, 250? Well, how tall are you? How tall are you? I'm six foot. Six foot. I'm going to need you at 200. Well, I'm going to have to start eating a lot. I'm like, I, can, I can gain 20 pounds, 25 pounds in the yeah, next few months. What I, I always tell my kids, if it had a mom, eat it. Lots of protein. Okay. okay. <laughs> if it had a mom, eat it. There you go. Well, Chris, man, uh, it was, again, great having you on the show today. Look forward to uh, further conversations, and uh, best of luck with Ian. Hope you guys are excited to watch his journey as well with this. So uh, we'll be in touch for sure. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yep, thanks. thanks. Take care.
Uh, Jimmy, that was a uh, you know, lot of great insights on that one. And uh, it's Chris was a uh, entertaining, like you said, you know, be yourself because everybody else is already taking it anyway. So uh, it was exciting to have him on. Oh, yeah, yeah, too. I started thinking, like, I guess him and I can go get a hairpiece and we could try to part it to the left. And then it got me excited about pudding pops. He started talking about pudding. And I'm like, oh, go get me a pudding pop. I mean, you know. I'll never look at a long snapper the same. And he talked about taking a dump on your wrist. I'm like, every time somebody long snaps out, I'm be thinking about, okay, that guy just took a dump on his wrist. There we go. It is funny when you think about that, but also like you talk about being in the trenches when you're, when you're snapping and what people are saying, like across from you, like I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this. Just snap the ball. Yeah. I would probably snap the ball, then run back the other way and yeah. probably try to catch yeah. the ball, you know? Yeah. So. All right, Jimmy. Well, you know, great episode again this week. Look forward to next week as well. Uh, enjoy your Wednesday and uh, get outside hey, today. Good, good luck this weekend, man. You know, I, I know you'll get them. Just be your best. Just go be your best, right? That's all you can do, right? That's right.